This is District Sentinel Radio, that loud newscast on the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Internate is not a worker studios in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We're still out of town, folks. We're on vacation. We'll be back on August 27th. Between now and then, we're releasing Sentinel cast interviews on our SoundCloud. Like this one from earlier this month, we brought on Adam Johnson from FAIR and a host of the Citations Needed podcast to discuss how MSNBC is mostly ignoring one of the biggest ongoing stories, Saudi Arabia's atrocity-filled invasion of Yemen. Attacks from the right are always easier than attacks from the left. It's not hard. Um, that sort of goes with the territory, that attacking Trump for being weak on national security or being friendly with dictators or any of these kind of what would have five years ago been considered a, a neoconservative or right-wing attack um, is easier to do in that it sort of offends less people in power. Um, it doesn't offend advertisers. It doesn't offend corporate um, uh, watchers, uh, people who sort of are the higher-ups at Comcast. Um it doesn't, it doesn't, I think, more importantly, offend the centers of power within the Democratic Party. Uh, this is a war that's supported, um, if not expre- explicitly, it is implicitly uh, supported by most uh, Democrats, especially former President Obama, who, of course, started the war uh, with Saudi Arabia in February and March of 2015. Um, so it's, it's a bipartisan war. It's a war that is, it's a war that um, was, was, sanctioned and stoked and created by a democratic president um for, uh, msnbc doesn't cover war or war crimes unless they're done by russia um they in that time they had over 40 different segments on chemical attacks by syria and by russia or, or airstrikes by russia or syria or the state of syria um so the sort of refrain of, oh, they just cover things like Stormy Daniels and Russia because it's sexy and they don't cover war crimes because they're not good for ratings. Um, I think that that sort of facile excuse is, is not doesn't hold up to a, a pretty basic standard, which is they do cover war crimes as long as they're done by countries that aren't the United States. So I think it's part of a broader editorial ethos within um, MSNBC uh, that um, is very pro-war. It's very pro. It's very hawkish. Um, Rachel Maddow used to do some hand wringing about war back when she um, wasn't a total cold warrior. Yeah, she wrote a uh, book on it. Yeah, the last, well, sort of. Yeah, the, it, that book was basically just you know, six hundred some odd pages of bumbling empire, um, <laughs> which which is where war is not something that we choose to do, but sort of just happens, and it's no one's fault really. Uh, <laughs> so it's sort of it's sort of soft peddling liberal apologia. Um, but uh, they, um, you know, Chris Hayes did a segment on. A pretty decent segment that was about two and a half minutes long uh, in August of 2016. Um, so about two years ago was the last real segment uh, that, that was the last segment that was done on primetime. So, um, you know, this is a war that's killed 15 to 20,000 people. The number's probably higher. Uh, it's caused um, almost a million cases of cholera. Uh, it's created the world's uh, largest famine. It's, it, it's created what the UN calls the world's largest humanitarian disaster. Um, and it's completely a non-issue with what is supposedly the liberal media outlet. Um, and again, the reason for that is it's complex, but it's primarily that it's easier to attack people from the right. Um, MSNBC's contributor list is a murderer's row 
of <laughs> neoconservative ghouls and people who are paid by you know military contractor funded think tanks or directly by military contractors themselves who sit on boards of weapons contractors. And so there's sort of a, there's an alliance, an alliance that's emerged in the last two years between what we would historically call a, you know, neoconservative or sort of very hawkish Republican wing um, that has always used the specter of Russia uh, to shore up military budgets. And what is, what I think is a kind of um, uh, MSNBC adult liberal class, uh, the kind of Rob Reiners of the world who are, who really think that, that the way to go after Trump is to try to out patriotism him. Uh, and it's, <laughs> I think it's going to have long-term effects for the next years, if not decades. Yeah. You saw that in people, uh, on MSNBC and just Democrats and liberals in general, flipping out about the proximity of the U S flag to the North Korean flag. during the Yeah. I mean, just really, 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 stupid, really stupid shit. I mean, just stuff that no one takes seriously. Um, this is, this is all posturing, um, this is, this is not something that I think anyone, if I got, if I sat down with them over whiskey and was like, man, be honest with me, do you really think like the proximity of the American flag, to the Korean flag is a big deal? I don't think anyone honestly believes this stuff. I think it's mostly yeah. just RT. I think it's mostly RT bait. Um, <laughs> cause again, it's easy to attack people from the right in general, right? Whether you're a liberal conservative, whatever it is to, to say, oh, this person is weak on national security is it, it just it titillates that part of the brain, that part of the brain that gets excited when, you know, Jack Bauer tortures people, that that part of the brain that gets excited, um, you know, when you when you're patriotic, when you when you when you watch the Olympics or something, it's, it's yeah. that sort of titillating, like tough on the bad guys, pro-America. Um, and the fact that it comes from liberals doesn't make it any less um, perverse. And, and so, um, yeah, it's just the cheap and easy route. I guess um, the I, I guess the complexities come in when you consider that they're still willing to attack Trump from the left on certain economic issues like healthcare. I mean, they're also willing to attack the left on this too, but on, uh, economic issues like tax cuts, uh, healthcare, even climate change. But I have seen even that cracking away yesterday. Uh, since Trump started a beef with the Koch brothers, you've seen some MSNBC apologia for the Kochs from uh, some of the guests and even some of the hosts on, on the network. But but Chris Hayes swears that the uh, climate change issue just is is not covered because of ratings. Nothing to do with <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing look, to do it, with anything yeah. else. I think the it's about ratings critique really needs to be talked about for a second. Um, this is something that people Let's use a it. lot when they when they try to justify bad editorial decisions. So uh, before um, we get but, into that, just some background in case people aren't as online as we are. Uh, Chris Hayes was get, Chris Hayes, the MSNBC host, obviously getting into a uh, Twitter conversation with someone and, and basically said that climate change is a ratings killer. And that's why he doesn't cover it as much as he would like. Yeah. So this is this is something that this is this is kind of what I call the the freshman year South Park of, of media criticism where, you know, when you're, you know, when you're a freshman in college and you got it all figured out and everyone's bad and both, both sides are bad and you've kind of reached the end of history and you, you and you're hip. Um, that sort of, it's all about the ratings is sort of a variation of this, right? That it's, that what we see on TV is based on ratings. Now there's a few huge holes in this, in this problem. Um, one thing is, is that, uh, two, uh, three months ago, MSNBC ran an eight and a half minute long, um, commercial for Comcast Cares, which is Comcast's corporate's um, PR day, 
Um, and I, I got to imagine that, and it was really culty. Uh, um, um, Re- Reverend Al Sharpton compared MSNBC to Nelson Mandela. <laughs> or I'm sorry, I'm God, sorry. I no, love no. that shit. No, no, hold on, hold on. Uh, Al Sharpton compared uh, Comcast to Nelson Mandela, even better, <sighs> saying that saying that they were carrying on Nelson Mandela's dream um, of like, it, and it was just this sort of vacuous corporate commercial. Now I got to imagine that that probably didn't get good ratings. I got to imagine that no one really gave a shit about that segment, but they put it on because that was the priority of theirs. Um, and just the same, again, they've covered war crimes. They've covered things. They've, co- they've covered Russian war crimes. Um, so as far as covering Yemen, that doesn't really work. And as far as climate change goes, yeah, look, it's probably true to some extent ratings are an issue. Ratings are an all, all, always an issue on citations needed. We had a former um, MSNBC producer who was, who was anonymous who, who said, yes, ratings are a factor. And I, I do believe that that's true. Um, but it's not the only factor. Um, and one of the ways we know this is because we know that ideology matters based on a number of indicators. For you know, ten years from the mid two thousands to the mid two thousand tens, Alex Jones was one of the top three rated radio shows in the country. Um, now, Alex Jones would never be on Fox News because he thinks, or at least used to—I don't know if he does anymore—that George Bush did nine eleven. So we sort of we acknowledge there are ideological filters just intuitively. Now, do I think Alex Jones should be on Fox News? No, I don't. <laughs> um, but we we sort of know that there are things you're sort of allowed to say and not allowed to say. We intuitively know that. And so we know that ratings aren't the only criteria. Um, they're one of several criteria. And to say, oh, well, we don't cover climate change because it gets bad ratings is a conversation stopper because it gets you off the hook for anything. Um, you know, Chris Hayes could go on there and run run uh, an hour and a half of hardcore pornography and say, oh, it gets good ratings. Well, we would also to say that's not enough. You need to ha- you need more than that. And so to use that excuse to justify bad editorial decisions, um, it, it doesn't really explain anything. It, it, it explains everything and it explains nothing. To bring, um, uh, kind of, it, Oh, sorry, go on. Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say to bring this back to Yemen, it's been, what, over a year since Hayes has covered Yemen and there have been... Well, it's been, it's been two years since Hayes has covered Yemen. Two years. So he hasn't, he hasn't even done it yet in the Trump era. Uh, which no. is a little ironic because last night when he covered it, it was President Obama who was uh, directly abetting the war crimes. But just earlier this year, we had we've had uh, uh, Emirati and Saudi attacks on on port city of uh, Hodeidah. Plenty right. of like, how how does that not get good ratings? Like that's that's a pretty fucking important uh, uh, story that is compelling and also something that one should cover. Yeah, I can imagine framing these stories in a way that's more exciting to get ratings, too. Yeah, even on climate change, uh, especially when you've had a guy like Scott Pruitt in the EPA, who's such a cartoon villain, and Hayes could have always tied that back into climate change, uh, but yet he would rather just have Democratic lawmakers come on and rant about Russia. I mean, look, climate change is 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 a bit of a bourgeois issue, and I and that may offend some people, but it's true. It is... It is an issue that doesn't really break upon class lines like the Yemen. Um, it, 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 the people who care about climate change in general, when you talk about actual anti-capitalist solutions to it, then it, it becomes a totally uh, class issue. But, you know, it's, it's on the docket at Davos. If I interviewed, a, you know, 100 out of 100 people in the United States, I'd say maybe 50 of them said they cared about it. Um, and so it's, it's not as if it's not a sort of bourgeois-friendly issue. And I, and I agree that it's not generally sexy. My assumption is, is that the rhetoric around climate change for a lot of people, and this is something Nate Robinson noted in an article he wrote for Current Affairs once, I think, I think they don't actually really believe it, um, in in any in the sense that I don't think they think there's anything we can do about it. Um, I think that 
any rational person, any person with a shred of morality believes that climate change is both real and very urgent. But I think that for most people, including Chris Hayes and I think the producers, I think they probably don't think there's anything that can really be done about it. Um, and so it lacks a kind of urgency. Uh, that's one theory I suspect is going on. And the second thing I think is going on is that um, it's not it, 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 it's not. It, it, it's sort of so permanent that there's never anything newsy. There's nothing new you can say. You know what I mean? It's not like there's, it's not like the Mueller investigation where he every time he sharts, it's the it's the top <laughs> story on MSNBC. You know, because there's this sort of tea leaf reading. There's the kind of um, you know smoke over over the Vatican where there's this revelation that comes out. Um, and I think that's also one of the issues with it. But I mean, look, I think I think climate change is one of the things that people say they care about when you pull them. But I think when it comes to actually carrying on a sort of visceral level. Um, I think it mostly just is a lot of posturing. And I, I think that's partly the, I think that's mostly the fault of the media. The media doesn't, doesn't do a good job uh, in general, uh, establishing the stakes. Uh, they don't tell people what's at stake, what's, you know, what, why it matters, what can be done about it. Um, it's a lot of doomsday. And I think that kind of r makes people resign to not do anything about it or to care about it. I think you make some good points about the enormity of the issue and the fact that there's rarely news there. Uh, in terms of yes, it's the climate change still happening. Uh, maybe maybe cable news could do a better job of just sort of peppering it and other coverage about environmental issues and environmental regulations uh, more generally. But either way, uh, just to reiterate, there is news about Yemen, and Hayes is not covering it. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's lots of news about Yemen. They're not. They're, he's not covering Yemen because it's it's there's no constituency of its victims. Um, Yemenis aren't going to call MSNBC. Yemenis aren't going to pull advertisement dollars. Yemenis aren't going to aren't going to promote Chris Hayes' book on Twitter. Yemenis aren't going to suck up uh, suck up to him on Twitter, which is its own kind of weird court flattery um, uh, environment. Uh, they have no standing. They're not important. Um, and Chris Hayes' whole shtick is he's the sort of good one who kind of tries to change it from the inside. He's kind of the inside guy, like, like he's wearing a wire for DSA and he's going to, he's going to bring him down. <laughs> and it's like, it's all bullshit. He, he know he knows he's a phony. He makes several million dollars a year. Um, and he, he enjoys being a phony. And, um, I think he thinks he tries to move the needle. I think he thinks he, I mean, he seems like an earnest guy, but I mean, look, the guy, you know, he was given some interview once and he like casually referred to in these times as like a, as like a lefty rag. Cause he was like trying to be like, Oh, I came from the lefty rag. And it's like, well, I can count about 15, 20 stories about Yemen and in these times in the last few months. So, I mean, you know, he, he Maddow was the same way. Maddow came from academia. Maddow had like credibility on the left. And then once you hand $3 million, frankly, if you hand $3 million to me, I'll talk about fucking Stormy Daniel all night. Um, it's an institutional problem. I don't think it's a moral failing on his part. But I, I, the whole like good, good Chris, bad Chris things I think is sort of tedious. And I think it's okay just to sort of say he's categorically a phony. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that you know maybe we haven't always done. Uh, we try to cover Yemen, just the two of us on our on our newscast. We we might not always get every story, but it's just two of us, <laughs> and, and, and we been, don't. It's have... been fewer than four hundred fucking days. Yeah, has covered it. I think the the elephant in the room to this conversation is is RussiaGate in the sense that you know maybe there would have been time for a yemen story here or there if they weren't covering Mueller every day and weren't co covering Stormy Daniels you might have had Chris Hayes do another two and a half minute clip at some point between here and there we had Osita Nuanevu on the show yesterday and we were talking about this issue and i just wanted to get kind of your take on where this recent 
spate of articles lecturing leftists to take Russiagate seriously, where that is coming from, given that serious leftists aren't calling on Mueller to end the investigation. They're not. Oh, yeah. The, no, it's, well, it's, it's also it's all wagon circling. It's all careerism. Look, here's the deal. Um, I, I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to use my critiques of the Russiagate narrative as a proxy or rather, I don't want to use Yemen as a proxy for that for that argument, right? All right. Well, I um, did that, but but I, you can I, you can no, break no, no. that off. And I think that and I and I think that to some extent it's true that Russiagate crowds out other issues. I think that's fair. I think that's probably true, but I also think that if Russiagate never happened, it's very very likely that MSNBC would still not talk about the war in Yemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that the now if you want to talk about the Russiagate separate from that, yes, I think that the issue has always been one of proportionality. I don't really know anyone who says that there shouldn't be an investigation or that the, the story shouldn't be covered at all. Um, I think there is a sense that it crowds out other stories. I think also, more importantly, it creates a chilling effect for dissent for a number of reasons, which we can go into, uh, starting with the panic around fake news and the and the and the curation of truth by large corporations like Google and Facebook, uh, the delisting of leftist websites, which has already been quantified and, and shown by by um, by several different third parties. Um, there's all these sort of pernicious things that have resulted in Russiagate that I've we've documented on my podcast, and I know that we've talked about a lot on Twitter that these are sort of, you know, sort of well documented things. Um, but the 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 yeah the sort of there's always this is take every few months. Well, the left needs to be serious about Russiagate, right? A lot of <laughs> a lot of editors love to publish this. It makes them super serious. Um, it puts them in good standing with Democratic Party in general. Uh, they're probably getting pressure from some of the more foaming Daily Coast crowd readership uh, and viewership. Um, but no one's no one can ever really say what you're supposed to do. It's all super vague. It's like you need to be serious about Russia. Great. You know, I showed up. I have my jersey on. I'm, I have my like, you know, I'm uh, my my sweat, my my armbands and my headband and my basketball. And I'm like, OK, what do I do? How do I how do I get serious on Russia? Not clear. <laughs> I think that there are people who probably are legitimately scared about Russia's influence such that it is. Um, but I think that's different than sort of doing the wagon circling it's time the left gets serious piece that is sort of what you do when I think, again, you want to sort of um, show your bon your serious person bona fides. And I, I think the whole thing is kind of tedious and I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Yeah. You know, it's like this sort of the, the, the sort of hip argument is that the left needs to have a way of, you know, David Cohen writes this article every three months. It's how do we engage with Russia? And there's, there's sort of this, the le this kind of fancy take where you say, oh, actually it's about global corporatocracy or kleptocracy and that the Bernie Sanders of the world's need to like position as us against the super wealthy. And it's like, ah, it's kind of bullshit. Um, you know, the, the, the GDP of Russia is less than Italy's. The majority of wealth in this country is not in Russia. Um, the idea that sort of, this is kind of the Panama papers take, right? It's kind of this, um, defending bourgeois American democracy from sinister foreigners. It's like, no, I'm sorry. There's a whole there's a whole like national security apparatus that's extremely well funded and very cynical and very evil that wants to exploit this narrative. And there's and it already has. And there's no there's just no fucking way you can sort of spin that as good for the left. It's just not going to end well for the left. It's just not. Um, and, you know, regardless of the underlying merits of the case itself, there is absolutely no way a Cold War 2.0 panic ever ends up well for the left, no matter how much you want it to, no matter how much you want to spin it. No matter how much you want to make it about evil, you know, oligarchs in Russia, it's just not going to happen. Look, Adam, and I and I John Brennan voted for the Communist Party in the 70s, okay? He is sure. an ally. 
That's true. He did. You know, well, you know, a lot of what a happened? lot of a lot of, a, a lot of neocons were trots. trots. That's, yeah, that's that's pretty. That's I, pretty. That's I knew this was going to go right the, there for the, for, the, for, for the William for the William Crystals. Um, uh, I mean, look, Krattheimer. a lot of times it, it, it is true that a lot of times neoconservatives just take, um, you know, ideas about foreign enemies and, and to their logical extreme. They're sort of taking it to its logical ends, which is. If you think a country's Hitler 2.0 and they're really evil, then why don't we invade them? Why don't we build weapon systems against them? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that's, yeah, I yeah, I I I think I think that doesn't end well. And I'm and I'm and I'm super curious. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like okay, like they're like we need to have a left wing foreign policy, and the word foreign policy does a lot of work here, right? Because it's sort of a benign way. It's a way you, you sort of don't talk about imperialism because uh, foreign policy sort of paints the U.S. U.S. establishment uh, security establishment as some kind of benign system of levers and pulleys that have just if we just elect enough dem socks to the United States government, the, that empire will sort of be inert or, or be woker than, you know, we'll, we'll fund more money to the U.S. aid or State Department or something. Listen, um, Norway, but, the ultimate socialist country is a NATO member. So <laughs> find a new example. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's like and I'm just I'm sitting here trying to imagine a world where like people talk about left wing foreign policy and center like demonizing Russia and 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 because it necessarily assumes that we had a democracy in any meaningful sense before. And I guess I'm just trying to imagine like Fred Hampton caring about Russiagate and I just can't do it. Like I'm having a hard time, like, you know, like mother Jones or any sort of, you know, Emma Goldman. And I can't, I can't imagine any of these people giving two shits about this. And it's like, yeah, we're supposed to sort of have this left wing, like serious person take on it. And it's just, it's all sort of, it seems very reverse engineered. It seems like, how do we like take this concept of a left wing and, morph it into like something that basically just appeases the sort of MSNBC well, narrative on Russia. Well, and I just don't really buy that. One, sorry. Of, the, one of the things that I wanted, I wanted to, I did, I really tried, but I was like, no, that doesn't really, <laughs> I'm over this. Well, one, one of the things that gives me headaches, uh, about this whole story and maybe this will come sound like sort of a crank thing to say. Uh, but I've always found it curious that within the whole, uh, Russia, the, the, the meddling uh, conversation. A lot of people bring up the U.S. meddling in Russia in the 90s, which is, which is fair and good. Not on MSNBC, per se, but just within the left. Maybe I should keep focused on MSNBC because the MSNBC doesn't cover any of the U.S. meddling. But uh, independent of that, I would, I would like to see a discussion of like American lawmakers going to the Maidan during the whole uh, Ukrainian protests yeah. And, and, and appearing alongside protesters, some of them extreme yeah, right wing I mean, protesters. We, and how does that not ring a bell? Like, how is that not meddling? I remember a BuzzFeed reporter or uh, she was at the time a BuzzFeed reporter and she was bragging on Twitter about John McCain going around to reporters, sharing with them photos of him posing with protesters in the Maidan and him just sort of fucking like acting like Napoleon, bringing freedom to these people. <laughs> And well, I mean, look, j just just look at Russia in 2011. Like, I mean, when there was the pro mass protest in Russia in 2011, 2010, 2012, I mean, it's objectively true that that the NED in, in U.S. In, by USAID and other groups like funded opposition groups in Russia. Like that is not objectionable. That's not anything people dispute. Now, when the U.S. does it, what they say is they're like fighting for democracy <laughs> because these are these are sort of autocracies. And I think on, there's some truth to that. But. 
that seems a little convenient. This, doesn't a little pat I, in terms of how you explain it away. Um, and I think that Putin blamed Hillary Clinton for those protests, and he and he felt um, also he felt betrayed by Libya, where they said they weren't going to pursue regime change, and then ended up doing it anyway. Over and then um, and Miedev supported the NATO, the UN uh, no-fly zone over Putin's protest. Two weeks later, said, lol, JK, going to overthrow Gaddafi, um, taking out another Russian sympathetic government in the Middle East. And so, like, there are motives here, um, which is why I absolutely think Russia did the hacking of the DNC and absolutely fucking did all that, uh, all the online stuff. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, But, um, well, I'd say the online stuff wasn't a big deal. I think DNC hacking is a pretty big deal. Um, I, I, and, and the so, buff like, Bernie the, on Facebook was a very big deal. I'll have you know the the buff yeah, Bernie the, and the, the speedo. The, the online it stuff sunk is the, pretty, the Clinton is pretty campaign, stupid. Yeah. But like, yeah, hacking hacking the DNC is a big deal. Like, it's it. You know, I do think that like it, I do think the the leaking of emails with WikiLeaks is like. It is a big deal to the extent to which one thinks that like the democratic system in the U.S. is something worth hammering about. I mean, the way I look at it is this. Um, and I've made this comparison uh, elsewhere, which is I think that if 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 Israel had hacked Bernie Sanders emails and he won the primary and during the election against Trump, they selectively leaked Bernie Sanders emails to make him look bad. Would you be mad about that? And I think you have to be honest with how you answer that question, because I'd be really mad about that. And I think that to the extent to which the Clinton you know, partisans believe that Russia did hack the DNC, which I do believe that they did. I think there's tons of circumstantial evidence to support that. Um I think they have a right to be pissed. I think they have a right to be mad, um, I, especially since she was the first realistic chance of having um, a woman president, and, he, and, she, and she lost to a caricature of a, of a sexist right wing shithead. Like that, that results in a form of mass trauma, and it's a mass trauma that I don't, I don't want to dismiss at a hand. I do think it's important. I just think it's completely off the fucking rails. True. I, I think uh, how we how we how we've responded to it is completely off the fucking rails. It, it does flatten it a little bit because in in my uh, in my imagined scenario where Israel hacks Bernie, uh, he goes on to win the election and uh, crushing electoral college victory. But I, I see your point. It is it, 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 the, the DNC hack. Uh, Bad Russia. Yeah, it not was, not a not a, not a great. Well, I mean, it's got it's got a it's got a matter. I mean, Russia right. w- wouldn't do things like that if it didn't actually. F- I mean, it has that, to yeah, it needs I mean, context. Like, the, I, like, the debate, like, though. Yeah, I, like I, like I can't sit here and and on talk about the importance of media all day and act like this is why I think the sort of response that, um, you know, that and Glenn Greenwald makes this a lot. And I and I got to be honest, I think it kind of falls flat, which is that like it was newsworthy. We had to publish it. Well, yeah, but the source matters. Like, if you're getting selectively fed leaks, um, you know, it's like the Daily Beast every day has this new revelation, or the CNN has this new revelation from the Mueller probe, and it's clearly being leaked to them by congressional Democrats and by members and people in the FBI, and even to some extent, probably the CIA. Um, like, the source of that matters. Like, the source of where we're getting information matters. Like, it, it affects how we view the news. So, like, well, the source was WikiLeaks. You know, Right, but the WikiLeaks, I think it's probably fair to say, was working with the Russians. I mean, I think that's... Well, I mean, there's, fair, there's a much better understanding of that now than there was, I guess, at the time when WikiLeaks well, well, was publishing this stuff. Uh, yes and no. So I think at the time... Uh, well, I'm not, I, I'm, like, I'm not necessarily saying that people made the, bad, the wrong call at the time to publish the information. Yeah. I'm saying that like, what we know now, like looking back, I think it's a, li- it's a little bit pat. I think it's a little bit too easy to say just because something's newsworthy, we have to publish it in, in 10, 15 point font. I do think the context matters. And I do think that like, 
there there should be or there should be some form of like reconciling that. I think I think that that's a totally reasonable thing for for Clintonites to ask people to do. Um, and I and I get that at the time it was it was not as clear, but I, I don't know. I think because again, I'm trying to imagine the scenario where, yeah, whatever. Some some right. uh, some anti, anti you know sort of anti Bernie government hacks his emails whether it's Saudi Arabia or something, um, I, I I don't know I I think yeah. I would I mean I, I guess not, the question would be I, how how newsworthy would Bernie Sanders emails be and if they were then maybe maybe they I mean, people wouldn't be that upset know. if they it, learned it, that Bernie it, Sanders it, is conspiring to support the I, war in Yemen or something I I don't I don't know but I I think I think it wouldn't be as bad but it seems like if you take anyone's emails like if you take well, them, you tell me if I can't, if I if I look through your emails I wouldn't find some shit to make you look bad Come no on. you definitely could of course you could but <laughs> I like know. I mean. I guess the question is people in a position of power, whether or not John Podesta counts as that someone who might have who would have probably been a chief of staff for the next president. If the end game here is that you have a bunch of spy services uh, revealing dirty secrets on each other's elites in public, even if they're timed in certain ways to maximize damage. I don't know. I don't have a problem with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I can't I just can't in good faith sit here and say that I, th I think that that whole thing was done done well I, th I think i think that um i think there's a legitimate grievance there well i think i, I, I guess think, so i just don't know what the solution is I, like i don't I, think well, you can sit on those stories i don't know what you do even if you do know that if if at the time well you do i mean know you, can, Russia, you can you can you, you can publish the stories and say like okay this yeah. came from a hot this came from a highly suspect source source yeah. in the and the and the Clinton campaign is alleging it's done with by the Russian government or or some con, or some sinister I mean sure. actor. Sure, I mean given um, given I mean, the look, fact the, that the, to me to, to me to me the the key is like only the Democratic emails were hacked and the Republican RNCs, well they were hacked but they weren't released and like, I mean that right there should 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 tell you someone's acting not as a sort of whistleblower sure. but as someone yeah. who's trying to curate to curate information for a political ends. Right, and I think we can. Uh, take that issue as as you have done we can take it seriously without feeling the need to self-flagellate about <laughs> not taking russia seriously because i don't know why because we're not we're not uh changing our facebook profile pictures to something that says trump with cyrillic letters or yeah. something i don't I mean, know it's one of, it's one of those things where it's 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 the yeah it's not it's not really clear what you're supposed to do exactly um, there's kind of this vague injunction against not being at, and, and it, it's like to make a crude analogy, it's like when people say Muslims must condemn ISIS. Like they, you can never really condemn ISIS enough. Like there's never, there's never going to be an amount of like serious Russia Henry one has to like engage in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, so it's sort, of, it's just, it's just this moving goalpost of seriousness. Um, and again, it's it's one of the, it, it's it's what is the effect of this? Like what is the the, the point of left the left as it were? And I think the point of left wing media is just you're supposed to say things people aren't saying. You're supposed to you're supposed to talk about issues people aren't talking about. And the New York Times, BuzzFeed, CNN, LA Times, Washington Post, or or Russia, 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 twenty four hours a fucking day. I don't know what the point in people who are on the left who don't have access to court media. I don't know why we should also talk about like yeah. why would we be the eight 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 thousand six hundred and seventy fifth person on the dog pile? It, what it, what as as Clinton would say, what good would it do? <laughs> I don't I don't know what the point of it would be. What and difference I don't know why this? <laughs> oh, sorry, I fuck, I fucked it up. As Clinton would say, what difference does it make? Yeah. What, what, what are we supposed to do? Um, other, uh, it's it, it it's like the difference between a protest and a rally, right? A protest is where you, so people say, oh, why don't we protest police, uh, you know, black on black crime? It's like because that's not something that's 
that that's already objectionable. Like the power establishment already says that people shooting each other is bad, but they don't say police shooting people is bad. That's why you protest. That's the difference between a protest and a rally. A protest is when you say things are wrong that the establishment doesn't agree with you on. A rally is when you go and you say, man, the establishment's great. We agree with the establishment. So if the establishment's already saying Russia is sinister and evil, what good does it do for me to go to a rally? I'm not a rally guy. I don't go to re- political rallies. I go to protest. <laughs> um, like you're not going against the current. You're just jumping on the, the established knowledge. Yeah. And, and when people enter left-wing spaces and scold leftists for not caring enough about Russia, I, I just I, – I'm sorry. I have a deeply cynical reading of why people do that. I, I just don't – this is not something I think is really on the front burner of any left-wing activist from, from, from immigration to Black Lives Matter – uh, to the global justice movement, to uh, environmentalist groups and Native American groups, I don't see anecdotally, it's completely anecdotal. I don't see any of them in any meaningful way ever talking about Russia ever. It's, it's just not something I think people prioritize. Now, does that mean it's not important? No, it is important, but it's already being taken care of. The corporate media is already reporting on it at fucking nauseum. So what good does it do for the leftists to go around and say, oh, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, yeah, it's super important. I mean, it's just not— Other than well, buy into you know, a I, neoconservative agenda. Right, because if you're a leftist and you talk about Russia and you say, well, Putin is not a great dude and I don't agree with what he's doing, but also look at this context, look at the Maidan, look at 2011 in Russia, look at 96 with Yeltsin, look at our long history of interfering— Clinton with at, Palestine. Uh, in, in other countries— and then suddenly you're accused of not taking the issue seriously and you're doing whataboutism and then all this other crap. And so the only alternative is the, to just jump on with neocons that we need to be bombing Russia. I right mean, now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm, a, I'm an outcome based man. I deal with the world as it is, not the way it should be. And I know that we just passed a seven hundred and seventeen billion dollar defense budget. And one of the primary reasons, if you go look at the floor speeches, was we had to prepare against threats from Russia. The word Russia and the NDA is used 57 times. This is, this is, this is the net result of this. This is the way this tape ends. This is the, when you play it to the end, this is the way this ends, which is increased hostilities in Ukraine, increased hostilities in Syria, increased hostility, um, in other parts of the world, more, more money to weapons contractors. So yeah, can one say soberly that Russia did X and Y and there needs to be reasonable, Ways of preventing that from happening again? Absolutely. One one should acknowledge reality. I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. But as far as how you as how you as far as how you prioritize what you're supposed to care about as the quote unquote leftist or on the quote unquote left, um, I in, in no in no universe do I think a Cold War 2.0 serves any interest for any of these groups, and especially with now now the specter of of, of Russian propaganda infiltrating these spaces. I mean, it's making people paranoid. People don't trust people on Twitter who are anonymous anymore. <laughs> people don't trust Facebook pages that are not officially sanctioned by corporate media. Um, you know, yeah, uh, it's gotten uh, bad. Uh, MSNBC, uh, yeah, MSNBC is going to get us all fucking killed. Uh, Adam, you've become a, a podcast aficionado, a podcast yeah. uh, maven here. You've got, of course, the Citations Pod. Uh, a great left leftist media criticism podcast. People can find it, uh, Citations Podcast, on iTunes, I'm sure, and on Patreon. Find it on Patreon. Support it on Patreon. By the way, Patreon fucking sucks. Uh, with the, they <laughs> screwed us over again today. Anyway, I'm sure they screwed you over too. Hopefully, that it's we we fixed. actually missed a lot of that. We 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 our number our declines were higher than usual, but not as high as others were saying. Uh, yeah, we, we were, we're at like we're at like three percent. Damn, yeah, ours was pretty high. But you also have a new podcast uh you're working with the appeal on a podcast what's that all about uh so the appeal is 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 a project started by the justice collaborative which um i think it's the tides foundation i think it's i think it's like they've gotten quite a bit of resources to basically go after 
to go pretty far left on criminal reform. Uh, they've opened up a lot of space for prison abolitionists, which is where my sympathies are. I don't know if I'm technically an abolitionist, but it's where my sympathies are. Um, uh, aren't you concerned they, about the message that sends to uh, centrist voters? Um, they can sit on a bicycle with no seat. No, um, I think I think the um, and so they asked me to do their podcast because I uh, they had known citations and so I do it. It's not as um, uh, involved in terms of like research and script as citations, but it's a really great questions and answers it's like Q and A stuff um, where I get to interview writers, activists, people who are in in the criminal abolition and criminal justice or sorry, criminal system reform, the, the term criminal justice is totally out of favor and for good reason because it's not justice, where I get to interview uh, them for 30 to 40, 50 minutes, and it's really great. I, I, I obviously think you should listen to both podcasts, but uh, the appeal is new. It's sort of, we're 10 episodes in. Um, I think it's 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 good. It's, I'm not as like preachy and as Adam Johnson-y on it. I'm sort of more like just asking questions, which I really like. Um, cause sometimes I like to t turn it off and not to talk over people, believe it or not. Um, so I don't know. It's been a lot of fun. They do really good work and they hire a lot of, um, writers and activists who do good work. So they're, they actually write checks, which is rare in this business. So I'm, I think they're a pretty good and they're a pretty good, uh, outlet to work for. And I'm, 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 I don't know. I like it there. It's good. So you should listen to it. All right. We'll follow Adam on Twitter I am, uh, at Adam Johnson, NYC. You can check out his writings at Fair Media. Follow that on Twitter, at Fair Media Watch. He is the co-host of the Citations Podcast, at Citations Pod, and you just heard about it, The Appeal Pod, at The Appeal Pod on Twitter. Thanks for coming on, Adam. You got it. That'll do it for the show. Remember, regular newscasts resume on August 27th. Before we go, I wanted to plug a fundraiser being put on by a longtime friend of mine online. Lena at El Borgi on Twitter is trying to raise money to pay for gender affirmation surgery. So if you have a few dollars, please help her out. GoFundMe.com slash help me wrap up my transition with each word separated by a hyphen. Help hyphen me hyphen wrap hyphen up hyphen my hyphen transition. GoFundMe.com. We also retweeted Lena's fundraising post today from the Sentinel account at the DC Sentinel. If you need help finding the link, Help out Lena if you can. We'll be back in D.C. so you don't have to be.